0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here's this week's message. We're actually starting a a brand new series this morning, but it kind of picks up where we left off last week, where we ended a series. Uh, where we were walking through the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however uh, you were brought up uh, to pronounce that. Uh, And we ended last week where Habakkuk had finished his conversation with God, and he just went on this praise bent. And we ended with this verse from last week uh, in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. This is the message version, and here's what he writes. He says, though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are warm, Worm eaten, and the wheat fields stunted. Though the sheep pens are sheepless, and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God. And and, and fruits and vegetables, that's what they grew, that's how they ate. Uh, They didn't have a giant eagle over whole foods. Uh, And the sheep pens and the wheat fields, that's what they traded. That was their money. And he was basically saying, even if there's no food on the table, or even if there's no money in my bank account... Uh, after his conversation with God, even though he didn't get the specific answers to his questions, he said, I'm still going to be singing joyful praise to God, turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior, God. And then this is the last thing he writes, uh, and here's the reason for his joy, because he was counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. Even though he was dealing with a lot of changes in his nation, injustice, and all kinds of things going on, he said, I'm counting on God's rule to prevail. He said, I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Then he added this uh, preposition—not prepositional—this um, phrase for congregational use with a full orchestra. In other words, this last praise statement that he said, he said, this isn't just for me. This is for all the people of God, and we need to sing about it and rejoice because God is still on the throne. And even though uh, when we look at some of the things that, that he you know, ask God about that he started. He was talking about things he was worried about. There was fear. There was terror. There was anguish. All these things going on. There was lots of injustice. Uh, people's needs weren't being met. And he brought all these things to God as the people of God are supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do, bring our concerns to God. But God responded to him. And out of that response, even though he didn't get a specific answer to, here's how I'm going to deal with each one of these things, because God responded to him, And the way that God responded to him turned his worry into an act of worship. His fear was turned to faith. His terror was turned to trust. And his anguish was turned to adoration of God. He said, hey, there's still lots of injustice going on, still lots of stuff going on. I don't have specific answers. Your answers, God, don't make the most sense, may not agree with them, but you're on the throne and I can trust you. No matter what's going on, I can trust you. And that's pretty much what everyone, even though you see so many people arguing and dividing over our nation, that's pretty much what everyone wants. We just want to know that everything's going to be okay. I mean, isn't that what we want, we want to know? I mean, going on, regardless of who's president, regardless of which party controls the Senate, regardless of which party controls <coughs> excuse me, Congress, regardless of uh, which people get appointed to the Supreme Court, We want to know that, hey, is everything going to be okay? And that's what we look to our leaders for. That's what we look to our leaders to provide. So what I wanted to do is to look at another leader, not a leader today, not a political leader today, uh, but I wanted to look at another biblical leader, Solomon, and, and look at what would he say to America today? If he were alive or if God had given him a glimpse of what's going on, what would he as a previous ruler, as a, as a king, as a God follower, as a man, what would he want to tell us to encourage the people of God? Now, uh, we look and say, well, he's, you know, in a totally different world, in a totally different culture. But his resume, if you look at some of the things he done, they, they, they pretty much match up to what we would expect. He had 40 years of service in ruling his country. Uh, he developed an astounding infrastructure. Uh, In the nation of Israel, um, he was one of the people that initiated... I know you hear Trump, and I don't know if you are Trump or Hillary or whatever, but talking about how bad our foreign trade is, uh, the foreign trade that Solomon initiated within Israel uh, was the best of any nation at that time. And not only that, but uh, the economic policies that he put in place made Israel more prosperous than it had ever been. Not just him. Now, to be honest, for him... He was way beyond phosphorus his net worth if you compared it today is probably about you know 1.8 1.7 billion dollars that's how much he was making from gifts from his business things from from all the stuff he going on, he had going on uh, he was also depending on who you talk to one of the most benevolent leaders but some say that he was a harsh taskmaster because he was driving all this infrastructure and building projects uh, and all that stuff uh, but he was also he didn't have any ties to any party system his goal was when he started and it changed as 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 he grew older but his goal when he started was you know what god i just want to rule your people your way i want to do the best i can for the people of god in accordance with the will of god that was his desire that was his goal that was his only agenda and of course as he went through life uh, we can see that a lot of that changed. But if you, uh, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Deuteronomy. So if you want to turn there, open your Bibles there. But I'm going to put some other verses up here first. Uh, this is what it tells us. And we've done so many studies on, on Solomon. Uh, but just uh, so you're aware of his background, Second Chronicles chapter 9. This is what it says. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold and robes, weapons and spices, horses and mules. So he was a respected leader in the global community uh, from from what the word of God tells us. Other leaders looked at him and said, hey, this guy definitely knows what he's doing. He's got some wisdom. They looked at the way the nation of Israel was prospering. They looked at all of the, uh, not just how wealthy he was, but all of the things that he was doing for the nation and how the nation as a whole was prospering it said, man, we need to, you know, listen to this guy. Uh, but then it also says this. He ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Now, this is important because a lot of people overlook overlook this. But yes, he was the king over Israel. But he was also king over other nations. Other nations were subject to him. And that's important because that means he wasn't just ruling over the people of God. He had people under him who didn't know God, who had different religious beliefs, spoke different languages, some people who hated God. But all of these people he had to rule over. And when we tend to look for, you know, our leaders, whether it be at a congressional level or a local level or even at the, you know, federal level the presidential level, we always try to look for, you know, we want a good Christian leader. We want a a good, solid Christian leader. Uh, Personally, I do that because I want someone with morals that I can relate to and I know where they're coming from. But we have to remember that leader is not just ruling over Christians. That leader, the next president or senator or whatever, they're in charge of and governing People that don't know God, people that hate God, people that speak speak different languages, people that may not even like all of the rules and regulations uh, within the United States. And we find out later there were a lot of people that didn't like a lot of the things that Solomon were doing. But still, uh, it's one of the considerations. Now, uh, our goal this morning isn't to look at how he, you know, ruled over Israel. What I want to look at is what would he say to us? And again, not getting political But just for us to consider, hey, what what would one of the wisest men in the Bible say to us as the people of God uh, living today? And again, um, you know, he he was a national leader, God-honoring man, businessman, father and husband. So we can all relate to that. But here's something else we can relate to that we tend to forget is that he excelled because he was godly, but he also failed because of his humanity. And you don't have to raise your hand but for me personally I know I've screwed up more times than I can count And I know some of you are keeping count okay I don't know if you're raising your hand cuz you too or you're like yes you have Floyd but I know I've made mistakes and I can identify with a leader who says you know what I've screwed up sometimes I've gotten it wrong and a lot of the proverbs that, that Sol- Solomon wrote and some of the writings in his later life are, are about his mistakes and the things that he got wrong. So one of the things that I think and you can you can put this in a lot of a lot of categories, right? But one of the first things that I think that Solomon would say to us America, especially to if you're Christians in America, is that we need to acknowledge that we have a spending problem. And I know some people would say, "Wait, what about all the morality and all the this And all the injustice and corruption, remember, Solomon was ruling over not just the people of God, but a lot of different nations who didn't share the same morals, uh, a lot of people who didn't share share the same ethics and beliefs. And one of his first responsibilities, he said to God, is, God, I want to rule your people well, and I want to do it in a way that's honoring to you, that's why I want wisdom And regardless of what your religious belief is, regardless of what your party belief is, regardless of what your, you know, denominational affiliation is, everyone wants to eat, wants a place to live. Uh, We want a home. We want heat on when it's cold. You know, all of us have the same, no matter where we come from, uh, economic outlook. Now, we may want to get there differently. But I think that one of the things that Solomon would acknowledge, and he knew a lot about spending, he spent a whole lot of money building the temple, he spent a whole lot of money and time uh, building his own home and developing the infrastructure for Israel. But one of the things that he would look at, and this is, again, one of the most wisest guys in the world, is, hey, America, you guys need to get your spending problem on top. That's gonna, if, you, if we address the spending problem, and most people look and say, you have a, we have an economic problem, we have... Uh, fiscal instability, no, those are a result of our spending too much money. Now, I'm going to ask you to bear with me uh, because some of you are going to like zone out over the next uh, couple of slides. But um, And this is based on 2015-2016 uh, values, okay? So our, the U.S. tax revenue, $3.25 trillion. That's a lot of money. That's, that's, that's how much U.S. tax revenue brings in. Federal budget, $3.8 trillion. So, if you do the math, we're adding $550 billion to our national debt, which if you look online, is like a national debt clock. Has anyone ever looked at that? Okay, yeah. Uh, This was as of 5 o'clock Friday that the national debt was $19.74 trillion. I don't know what it is now. It could have gone up, could have gone down. This clock keeps ticking. Uh, But that's how much we're adding. And to this, to those of you who say, this is a little confusing, this is whatever, uh, let's break it down. And, and I saw this online, so that means it's, yeah, I uh, saw this online where someone said, this is the best way to break it down. If you take it out of that trillion and billions of dollars and just put it into numbers we can relate to. So a family income of 32500 And Some of you have been there, that's not a lot of money, but where you're bringing in $32,500, uh, 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 a family of, of four, you know, you, your spouse, uh, the two kids, uh, the dog, the fish. You know, you sell the cat so you can make more money. But okay, but there's 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 you know family for that's not a lot of money. But if you look and in a 12 month period, you say, guess what? We're bringing in 32,500, but we spent 38,000 dollars. Then it's a no brainer to see that you just added. to your credit card debt. Now your credit card debt is almost $20,000. That's a lot of credit card debt. And what most people do, most logical families will do, they'll look at that and say, we need to come up with a plan. So over the next year or a couple of years, you say, we're going to cut down. We're not going to, you know, take as many vacations. Uh, Instead of going to the movies, we're going to, you know, go to the, either go to, the red box $20 DVD, or we'll just, you know, wait a couple of extra months until it's free somewhere on TV. Uh, you say we're instead of, you know, going on a big, giant Christmas vacation, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna stay at home. And instead of buying each other gifts, and it's usually, you know, husband and wife, they'll say, you know what, we'll just buy gifts for the kids and you and our gift to each other will be knowing that we can still provide for them and that in a couple of years we're gonna be in a better place. And every year you just look at ways to Paid? I mean, does this make sense to anyone? Is, isn't that what? And now, now, I know I've been in situations where I'm like, whoa, our, our, you know, I, we're, we're spending way too much. We've got to cut back. Or you look and you said, I didn't realize that I'd put this much on a credit card. So you either cut it up or you start doing it and you, and you put it away and you start cutting back so that maybe not in two, three, or four years, but in several years, you've got less credit card debt. That's not what the government does. And I'm not criticizing our government. I'm just sharing our fact. What our government does is they look and they say, hey, you know what? Uh, the most we're going to allow ourselves is this much, call it credit card debt, um, national debt is $5 trillion. Guess what? We went over that. So what we're going to do is we'll raise it to $10 trillion. And that's what they call raising the debt ceiling. Therefore, we're no longer in violation of our own law and we can spend more and they keep raising it and raising it and raising it so that we can spend and spend and spend. That's what we do. Now, there was a quote, again, founded online, that really makes sense. What is good financial policy for families is a good policy for a nation of families. Don't spend more than you earn. I mean, it's gonna happen occasionally, but none of us wants to make it a practice of spending more than we earn. And and here's a problem that we have. Here's a problem that we have. We as a nation are no longer just a nation of, yay, we're all Christians and we all love Christian values. But we in the church are still the church. And we in the church that are Americans have forgotten who our true provider is. So open up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. And then the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, uh, dropping down to verse 10. And this is what we read. And it's on, if you're following in the Bibles on front of you or underneath you, it's page 132. This is what we read, dropping down to verse 10. This is God speaking through Moses to the people of Israel, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, I have to clarify, this is God speaking to Israel with specificity to Israel regarding his sovereignty over them. But it also applies to us because if you look at our history, God also helped us become a nation. Because when we declared our independence from Great Britain, the Declaration of Independence... It was based on God's sovereignty. And it's in the Declaration of Independence that we, we didn't give ourselves rights. We're not declaring that we have rights. God has given humanity rights. And that's one of the reasons we declared our Declaration uh, of Independence is because we felt our rights were being violated. Our God-given rights were being violated. So he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt... Or for us who brought us out of Great Britain, or for us who made us into a nation as a whole. He led you through the vast and beautiful, dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, and this is, this is what it seems like we as Christian Americans are saying. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But he says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. And again... You can't look at people who don't acknowledge God, don't know God or reject God and say, hey, you guys should be adhering to this. But for those people who call themselves followers of God, Christ followers, Christians, regardless of your denomination, if we acknowledge God as our Lord and Savior, then we have a responsibility to acknowledge God as our provider. Now, this is what Elsie says in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. It says, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. If we, if, if, if we could get that right of, of, of coming back to a place where just talking about the Christians again, acknowledging God's sovereignty, then it would help us as a nation acknowledge that, hey, you know what, we don't have to create money, Or borrow money for us to gain wealth. We just have to acknowledge God's sovereignty. And it's not like he's going to open a window and just pour out money on you. He's going to bless the work of our hands. The things that we do, our our industrialization processes, our our technology processes, our medical processes, all those things that we do, will be blessed. And there was a time when in all of those areas, all of the nations looked to us. But as we as a nation started eliminating God, then we started eliminating good, sound financial practices and the debt problems in our nation and the removal of God from our nation. If you start looking at them, they kind of go hand in hand. The more we removed God from our nation, the more we started seeking our own wealth, trusting in our own hands, and the more we started increasing in all of our debt. Now, this is what it says uh, in Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7. The poor are always ruled over by the rich, so don't borrow and put yourself under their power, and you, all you got to do is turn on the TV and hear all the riots between the poor and the class distinction and the rich, and, you know, listen to the candidates talking about the wealth and uh, uh, how, uh, and all the, uh, it hasn't been as much now, but the one percenters and the 99 percenters and all this stuff, all of this class distinction and the more that you borrow money, the more you're subject to whoever you borrowed from. Uh, and this is what it says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. It says, keep out of debt and owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor, who practices loving others, has fulfilled the law relating to one's fellow man, meeting all of its requirements. Our, our first priority is to love one another. And even if, even if just, again, just the Christians... If just the Christian, just those who say we're Christ followers, which depending on which poll you look at in the nation is some, you know, uh, either one third of the nation or 66 percent or 50 percent, depends on which poll you look at. But if there are that many Christ followers, if we just follow this, what Paul told to the church in Colossians in chapter three, he says, whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance, which is your real reward. The one whom you are actually serving is the Lord Christ, the Messiah. I know we all go to work to get a paycheck. I I don't know about you. I get happy when I get my paycheck and I spend it right away. Uh, I like buying stuff for me. But I also like knowing that, hey, you know what? I'm doing what God has called me to do. When we were... I was meeting uh, this week with the, uh, the group of, of college kids at, at CCAC, and we were discussing finding, um, I don't even know if I should tell you this because some of you guys may not agree, but we were talking about finding what you're passionate about. And I was telling them, hey, whatever you're passionate about, if you invest your time and your money into whatever your passion is, you'll be a lot more effective and a lot more happy. And i told him i said i'm 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 passionate about sharing god's truth with people but the good thing is unlike a politician or 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 ceo of a business i'm not bound to gotta sell more product or uh, have to keep the elected people happy i'm bound by god to preach the truths of his word and one of the reasons i said that jesus was killed wasn't because he was sitting around telling people, here's what the truth is. He was up in their faces showing them, here's why you're wrong, and here's the path to do things right. He wasn't, he wasn't harassed, and they didn't say we we're going to kill him just because he said we should go out and heal people on the Sabbath. They said, hey, you know what? We need to kill him because he stood up in the midst of everyone in the synagogue and said, I know your law says you shouldn't, But my God says I should, and he healed people on the Sabbath. He was passionate about what God had called him to do, and with them we were talking about whether it be arts, and they were sharing some of the things that they would change in the culture and all of that stuff. But if we as the people of God are passionate about acknowledging God as our provider, then there is no reason why we shouldn't follow God's laws with respect to our finances, if we believe that he has provided them for us. And again, we have forgotten who we are serving. We have forgotten who has provided for us. We've forgotten, and I know we live in you know this capitalistic world, and I, I, I'm fond of capitalism, you may not be, but I'm more fond of, and truly believe that every penny that I have ever received is because God has allowed it. Therefore, I need to spend it in a way that is in line with his will. Now, as the band comes up, let me share this this final thought with you, and and most of you are familiar with this. Uh, Abraham Lincoln um, closed with this call to... uh, prayer in 1863, and, th- and this is for some of you, uh, a sitting president, not, a, not, 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 not uh, uh, one trying to get elected, but a sitting president in the White House. This is what he said. And some of you are familiar with this. They share it at National Days of Prayers and at uh, Thanksgiving, those type of events. Uh, uh, he said, "We have been the recipients of the choicest bounty of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity." We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. He says, we have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. This is us. This is America today. We think that everything we have, we created it, we did it, we got us here to this point from when a group of men and women and kids with plows and shovels and shoddy weaponry defeated the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. It wasn't because they were that good. It was because God was that good to us. And he says, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. And a lot of people say he's talking about the God that made us as men and women, But I believe he's also saying the God that made us, the nation that we are, and he closes with this, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and and we're going to pray and then we're going to close out with a, a time of praise and song. God, we First and foremost, as as we just read, we confess our sins of greed and lust and all of those things that have made us forget you and pursue other things in place of you. We ask your forgiveness as individuals here today, as a congregation, as the people of God, and on behalf of our nation, even those that reject you, even those that don't know you. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, for we have sinned against you. And we pray that you would look past just the deceitfulness of our heart that allows us to think that we're that good, that we can preserve ourselves as a nation on our own. And you would see the childlike need that we have of you as a loving father to continue to protect us and to preserve us. And we give you thanks. And we give you praise. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.